Hello, and welcome to episode 146 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the dysfunctional. This week, we are starting Christmas holiday movie season by talking about The Family Stone. Jingle, 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 jingle. <laughs> on your You Have jingle, a jingle. Freak Flag podcast. want to gush about the amazing season that is Christmas with me, I'm on Twitter at Mandy K. And I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. I'm here to talk to you about The Family Stone. <laughs> so, so everybody knows The Family Stone <laughs> is a movie that I, of course, love and have seen many, many, many times. This was one Matthew had never seen. Nope. I made him watch it. Yep. I'm sure you can tell by the inflection in his voice. He's not super thrilled about it. Bring it on. But you guys, it's a Christmas movie. I love this movie. You have nothing to say, Matthew? Nothing? No so, intro? I have a lot of things to say. <laughs> but none of them go in the intro, We're going right? to need to dig into the film first. Shall I tell you what this film's about? Please tell everybody what the okay. film's about. The Stone family gather for their Christmas festivities and oldest sibling Everett brings his highly strong girlfriend to meet the family proper for the first time with the intention of proposing to her with his grandmother's ring which has a stone in it, and is the family stone. Do you get it? <laughs> I mean, the fact that the poster is a giant finger with a giant stone on it. Okay, so here's something funny. I had never actually seen the movie poster, because I didn't see okay, this in theaters. Right, I don't know when right. I saw it for the first time. And I did not make the connection between the family stone and the ring until I think it was uh, <laughs> okay. Kate on discord mentioned it. And I was right. like, Oh my God, that's certainly, I mean, it's so <laughs> obvious, but I started watching this movie like sometime around 2005, 2006. And I right. didn't think in those kinds of terms, like I wasn't looking for okay. double meanings. So okay. I just, it didn't occur to me. I, I was surprised when their family name was stone. I thought it was kind of the joke was the it's the family ring it's this gorgeous diamond it's you know but we're just going to call it a stone because it's <laughs> ironic and then it's like oh no it's a double play on words well done that's very imaginative. <laughs> well see maybe I wonder though because for me the point of this movie is the family and okay. that's we'll talk about this that's why I love this movie so much is because of how family oriented it is. Right. And so the focus of that being the family's name made sense to me and that's probably why I never dug any deeper. Okay, that's fair. I think on the synopses we come at them at two different things. I realized this in writing this one when when you don't like a film, you write a synopsis with like this film is trash and trash things happen in it. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Something along those lines. When I'm writing a synopsis for a film I don't like, I'm like, it's really light and fun and isn't it interesting? And I try to play it really <laughs> cool knowing I'm going to rip into it so I don't want to, you know, okay. peak too early. That's cool. Right. <laughs> All right. Okay, so well, if, I was, if I was really enthusiastic or, or jokey in the synopsis, You'd be like, oh, Matthew, like the film. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm just playing the synopsis straight. Mm, Not so bad much. Bad times ahead. All right, Matthew, why had you never seen The Family Stone before? Because it's it's not a genre that you shy away from. I love a Christmas film. I love a good Christmas film. <laughs> I mean, you know, that might tell you everything you need to know. But I, I'm not even sure this has been released over here. <laughs> I don't think it was at the cinemas. It did not make an impact. Okay. Let's put it that way. I don't know whether there is something in it that this is uh, trying to relive the, you know, baby boomers Christmas of yore in America. And that is not the, necessarily the same as over here. But, but, you know, gathering for families at Christmas is a standard thing. Mm, yeah. So I don't know. It just did not make an impact at all. I feel like this may have been a response to movies like Love Actually. Because it's a Christmas ensemble film, just done okay. differently. Mm -hmm. it, it feels similar to me. Okay. Cool, let's talk about Love Actually sometime. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest problem with Love Actually, it's not a Matrix sequel. 
Okay. Have, I ever told you, have I told you this story? I don't think so. <laughs> um, the cinema near where the, my hometown, um, they used to do uh, screenings of films early to get audience reactions for people who were members of the cinema. And at about the time when it would have been, I think, the third Matrix film, they did a secret screening just ahead of it that I went with my, you know, one of my closest friends, Dom, to see. And we were like, maybe it's going to be the Matrix sequel. It was Love Actually. <laughs> so one of the few times I've sat through Love Actually beginning to end was with my buddy. <laughs> Not the most romantic of things. I mean, you know, we're close, so that's fine. But it wasn't what you went for. It wasn't the film we were hoping it was going to be. Because they're it. secret screenings as well. You don't know what they're putting on. Right, right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, well, The Family Stone is a 2005 American comedy drama with an ensemble cast, written and directed by Thomas Bazooka. Bazooka. I'm assuming that's actually how you say that. I don't know. Um, If my last name was Bazooka, it would be pronounced Bazooka. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It stars Diane Keaton, Craig T. Nelson, Sarah Jessica Parker, Dermot Mulroney, Luke Wilson, Rachel McAdams, and Claire Danes. It opened number three at the box office and ultimately returned $92 million at the box office on an $18 million budget. Sarah Jessica Parker was nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance. Well, well done, her. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. How are you able to watch this movie, Matthew? It's on Sky Cinema. So I clicked a button and it played and then I deleted it off the DVD. Good, 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 good. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So this is like Matthew's version of Splash, it feels like. Okay. Splash was better. No. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) My heart hurts. Oh, my God. My heart hurts. All right. Well, I own this one. I love this movie. This one is right up there with the holiday for me. Both of them are it movies not, I will watch it is not over you and over. Liar. No, I am not <laughs> lying. I love this movie. Love it. I'm going to make you totally entrenched in this. I'm just going to force you to end up being like, stop saying bad things. Possibly. <laughs> Defend it to the hilt. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. So before we jump in, tell us the experience that you've got with this cast it's a huge cast and it's Mm. a very well-known cast yep um so diane keaton uh, from obviously the godfather and father of the bride i think are the main things i know her from um she has done a lot with woody allen i've not seen woody allen films Mm. so yeah Mm. um and an 80s film called baby boom which i did not realize was her and then i saw on the list i was like wow okay even she did the weird 80s films that you know bet midler and people were doing all right. Brilliant. Um, who else have we got on the list? We've got Craig T. Nelson, who we've seen two or three times. We, he was obviously in yeah. Devil's Advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen him in much, to be honest with you. Okay. More someone you'd like, oh, yeah, I recognize him. Yeah, Voice in the Incredibles, that kind of thing. But I don't think he's as much of a recognized person over here. Mm. Well, he's more television here, even, okay. than anything. So. Oh, that might be the thing. Dermot Mulroney. I am not sure I've seen him in anything. Really? But he was really familiar. And we're going to get into what I think he looked like. Um, but I am not sure I've seen anything. Hang on, hang on. Letterbox, Letterbox is going to save us here. Like uh, uh... I have seen five of Dermot Mulroney's 87 films. All right. <laughs> they are J. Edgar, Jobs, The Family Stone, Truth... You've seen My Best Friend's Wedding, right? Nope. What? And Burn After Reading. What? (laughs) Okay. Is that not going on the list? Yeah, we're going to do that one at some point for you. Okay. No, no, I've not seen My Best Friend's Wedding, so. Uh, Who else is on the list? Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson from Old School and other such films. Otherwise known as Owen Wilson's brother. Yes. And the guy from Legally Blonde. Is he? You've seen Legally Blonde, right? I have seen Legally Blonde. That was the time when he was doing Legally Blonde and Charlie's Angels and films (laughs) of that. Uh, Yes, I've seen a number of his things. Nothing comes to mind except for Old School, which is the film that I love. Okay. I think it's a very, very, very funny film. Probably shouldn't love it as much as I do. Um, 
Uh, did we mention Elizabeth Reza? I mean, we talked about her recently from Twilight. Es- so. Esme Cullen, yeah. Yeah. What about Claire Danes? Uh, okay. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I just... Okay, no, go back and say what you were Elizabeth Reza, you're done. Get out of here. Um, Claire Danes, America's sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Terminator 3. Oh, wow, that's it? I feel like I've seen Stardust, but it made such a little impact on me, I cannot remember it. Oh, my um, gosh. If I've you don't remember Little... Stardust, you haven't seen it. Mm. Um, I haven't seen Little Women, although I want to. I haven't seen Romeo and Juliet, and I'm not sure if I do. I've seen Iggy, Iggy Goes Down, but I can't remember it. And I did not watch my so-called life. Hmm. I think I'm a little too young for it, perhaps. Maybe it's just a teenage girl in the 90s thing to know to be so enamored with Claire Danes yeah I mean she has a whole list of films Home for the Holidays I would like to see and it's not available anywhere that annoys me because I would like to see that one okay Uh, oh I've seen Brixby Bear that was good I enjoyed that so then from your perspective this all-star ensemble cast was not really an all-star cast yeah well we've got the chap from Cabin in the Woods Brian J. White um (laughs) We've got Tyrone Giordano. Giordano. Mm-hmm. Not seen him in anything else. Uh, oh, no, he's in A Lot Like Love. Wow. I liked A Lot Like Love a lot, and I styled my hair like Ashton Kutcher's in, uh, when I saw that film. Because <laughs> he's got a very nice, relaxed, sort of semi-parting thing going on. I was like, oh, that's right for me. Yeah. Okay. That's my A Lot Like Love story. Uh, and, of course, we have Rachel McAdams. We do. As as we've said before, the time traveller who does not get to time travel. <laughs> That's this... right. We did just talk about her like last week, didn't we? Or yeah. like the week before, or sometime recently. Uh, th- this was slightly strange because I cannot think of another film where I've seen her as part of a group, not the in-charge independent person. When I think of things like Mean Girls and Sherlock Holmes and uh, Doctor Strange... And about time and, you know, the many films she's been in. It is Rachel McAdams. She's playing that part, but not part of, you know, a group of people coming in. Okay. She's a character who stands alone or she's the leader of the group of characters. Right. This was the first time she's just another person in this group. Right, right. Hmm, very strange. Uh, and finally, we come to Sarah Jessica Parker. He says derisively. Well, we've I've seen LA Story. I've not seen Sex and City. Okay. And I can't remember her in uh, Edward and Mars Attacks. Oh, she was in Hocus Pocus, of course, and we enjoyed her in Hocus Pocus because we felt the role was written for her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We're not getting off to a very great start here. Have Have you seen Sex and City? Oh yes, many times. Okay. Uh, were you watching it at the time when you watched this? Um, yes. I knew okay. her as Carrie Bradshaw before I knew her as Meredith. Right. So it is part of this that you... So A, she had a lot of credit with you for being a thing that you liked, and B, you can see the differences that this is a different character. Possibly. Because that did help me um, see the nuances of the performance. Right, okay. Because the characters are so different, and she does them both so well that, for me, it elevates her talent status okay yep okay because i did wonder in watching it basically she has no credit with me mm. for for anything i mean yeah the main thing i know about sex and city is listening to tim and guy talk about sex and city and sex and city for two for two years and hear about how terrible it is and how terrible oh, she God. and her character are so oh so Spark has very little credit with me right. whereas daryl hannah at least and tom hanks and john candy had a lot of credit Okay. To, to burn. No, that makes did. sense. That makes sense. Um, she is much better than she is given credit for by those two guys who started with Sex and the City 2 yeah. every day. Well, the, yeah, those those movies are bad movies, even without having seen them. Oh, Sex and the City 2 is terrible. Yeah. So, Family Stone. Family Stone. <laughs> let's, let's not get, get derailed onto a Sex and the City conversation. So, Matthew, tell mm. everybody, did you enjoy The Family Stone? I did not enjoy The Family Stone. I couldn't even remember the name of the film just then. Crikey. 
why, uh, can you tell me why? Like, I, I know I saw you tweet about it a little bit and you talked about how you guys were yelling at the TV and things like mm-hmm, that. And I was just, mm-hmm. can you explain why you had such a visceral reaction to it and why there was no redemption? I, I think the core of it is, I'm, I'm trying not to explain it. I'm trying to say why and then we can get into the explanation. Okay. But it's really hard to do. I, I didn't like any of the characters. There was no point where I felt like there was a character I was supposed to be supporting and sympathetic of. To the extent, Catherine and I had a very serious conversation about this in the opening third or so. Because she was supporting Sarah Jessica Parker. And I was feeling like I should be supporting the mother but not wanting to. Because I think everyone is awful. And and I, I don't think they get better as the film goes on. They just keep doing things that I think, no, this is terrible. And if this was real life, it would it would tear this this family asunder. Do you and, think the and, dad was terrible? Uh, not necessarily an awful person, but I, I hate that thing of, oh, the dad's all like playful and fun and a bit oblivious. And the mum is the serious one who holds everything together. Sarah Jessica Parker turns up, clearly does not want to be hugged and holds a hand out and he envelops her in a hug. And it goes on from there from him that he's just, okay. oh, it'll all be fine. Come on, let's go and do whatever else he did. In fact, he made, he'd very made very little impact, to be honest. He ate pop brownies. I had to think about that. He did eat pop brownies, yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So I think I think the crux of it is the characters. The characters utterly turn me off. And and if if I then try to move a bit to the why, I think it's just it's written so shoddily. I don't hmm. think this film knows who we're supposed to be supporting. If anyone, there's no one that I felt was sympathetic. There's no one that I felt was someone I should root for. And the characters are fundamentally not the, the characters that I think portrayed to be. The, 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 there are a couple of really easy points for me to hit. So I'm going to try to hit them and then we'll, we can go through nuance if there is any um, in, in the discussion. Sarah Jessica Parker is 40 when she made this film. Let's, let's be charitable. Characters in early, mid-30s, if we're charitable. But it's supposed to be a you know ambitious fairly successful business type person mm-hmm. why is she written as though she's 16 and meeting her boyfriend's family for the first time and has no social skills i don't think she is really really okay go on. i 100 percent identify with the nervousness that she felt meeting everett's family i had the same nervousness when i met joseph's family I didn't spaz out the way she did, obviously. Um, But that's because I tend to internalize things instead of externalizing and verbally vomiting the way that she does. Okay, yeah. But for me, that felt perfectly realistic. I feel like there's a lot of dissonance between the the portrayal that she is someone who does well at work. And to do well at work, you generally have to have decent people skills. And this person who's going to meet this family who she has no idea how to deal with them. And and that is then exacerbated because they have no idea how to deal with her, except they don't like her and are awful to her. And that's every single one. We are given no reason, I, I think throughout the film, why Rachel McAdams is terrible to her, except we see Rachel McAdams being terrible at the beginning. But at that point, they've not told me, like, oh, by the way, you're supposed to really love Rachel McAdams because she's great. All I see <laughs> is her sitting there and having a go at this woman... That is potentially, you know, very nice person. They've not told me which way to go on either right. character. So all okay. it's, it is, is, you know, her try, her, she makes an effort. Sarah Jessica Parker makes an effort. She's like, you have a lovely home, which, like I say, feels like the thing you do when you're, you know, meeting your boyfriend's parents for the first time. Right, right. Yeah. It's very nice. Well, the better to entertain you with. Diane right. Keaton bites back at her. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The The family for the first two-thirds of the movie, if not even the first three-quarters of the movie, is absolutely terrible. They're mean, mm-hmm. sarcastic, snarky. Mm-hmm. They are awful. So it makes me feel like we're supposed to like Sarah Jessica Parker. Right, we're on her side. She's the protagonist. We're feeling mm. sorry for her for trying in this situation. But she is then written, she doesn't do anything right. It all goes wrong. She says the wrong thing. She's an awful person. The film doesn't give us anything to hang on to like her. So it's, you're just out there watching everyone. Everyone is awful. Everyone is awful. <laughs> everyone is bad in the family stone. And and so I, 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 Catherine was like you. She was identifying with the character and saying, yeah, you know, this girl is clearly really nervous. Really not sure, just trying to do. But at the same time, we're being told she's a decent person. He's fallen for her, so she's clearly got something about her, but we're not seeing that. Mm-hmm. 
or, or even being told that necessarily. They're just a couple and they're together. Fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas I felt like, oh, it's the family and Sarah, and this is probably the no credit thing. Sarah Jessica Parker's coming in and she's trouble. And this family are going to, you know, have to ride her out and deal with it. But also the family are awful. So fine. Luke Wilson turns up and clearly as soon as he sees Sarah Jessica Parker has a massive crush on his brother's <laughs> girlfriend. Okay, yeah, they did set that shot up rather obviously, didn't they? With her coming down the stairs and him looking up at her. Claire Danes turns up and Dermot clearly has a giant crush on his girlfriend's sister immediately. Mm -hmm. I think neither of those things are actually true. That they would suddenly go, I love you, even though, again, this is not teens or kids. This is not a coming of age story about relationships in that way. It's just people who should know better. Okay. I mean, think back to when you and Catherine met. You guys met over a cheese board. Like, you met each other and you knew there was something <laughs> that made you want to get to know each other more. You don't think that could have happened in this situation? And and if she'd been my brother's girlfriend, I would have sat and had a very friendly chat with her. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, <laughs> I just, it's so bonkers. But then, but then, you have the dinner scene. Oh, God, that scene is so painful. Where I hid behind Catherine. <laughs> right. The secondhand embarrassment is so bad. And then we sat there shouting at the TV. Because what she is saying is terrible. And I, I, I know what she's saying. When my, my sister and I were teens and she was living at home, she was she was growing out with a guy. And she asked my parents one day, I, I'm not even sure, we were probably watching a TV show that had an interracial relationship. And she said to my parents, what would you have thought if I'd been going out with a boy who was black? And my parents said, we would have been fine. It would not have made a difference, except we would have understood that the world would have treated your relationship differently. It would have been more difficult and we wouldn't have wanted that for you. So we would have wanted to help you in any way we could. Mm -hmm. That's what she's trying to say. I think that no parent wants their child to go through difficulties. Right. And, and to experience difficulties, whether it's gender, race, disability, sexuality, whatever, Mm -hmm. sexual preference. Sorry. But she's saying it in fairly offensive ways that, you know, right. do not work at all. Right. And she goes off really upset. And her boyfriend sits there and goes out for a walk with her sister and lets his brother go and take care of her when she crashes a car. That's terrible. That is awful. It, it, you know, if if <laughs> if that was the situation, like you would walk back in, you'd be like, what the F? Why are you not coming to help me? What is going wrong here? But he, he lets her go and... She crashes a car and he doesn't go, it's terrible. She does kind of call him out on it once, but the movie is setting up the the idea that they're not meant to be together. That's what the movie Fine. wants us to believe. And and I Fine. think they do a really good job at showing us that. I mean, he doesn't know it. And I, I don't quite understand why he's in the relationship in as deep as he is in the first place. I think that's part of the, you know, we're told that he loves her, but we're never shown it. And then the point at which whether he's into the relationship or not... He's brought her there. She's made a complete buffoon of herself and then crashed a car. Right. Yeah, brother, no, his, he should absolutely be taking care of her. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that's the the most obvious one. But there were just so many of that sort of moment throughout that was just, no, this is wrong and bad. And this should be being called out. And, and frankly, her sister doesn't go and help her. And her sister then goes out with him and doesn't say, hey, perhaps you should be helping your girlfriend. <laughs> like... You don't feel there's any chemistry between anyone. This one has, like, really got your rage up. It really did. It was just over and above whether they should be in the relationship, who was supposed to be rooting for, that kind of thing. They were just doing stuff that I did not believe would then be, oh, it's fine. Yeah, my my brother's got her. She's crashed a car. It's okay. Okay. He doesn't know what state she's in. I would like to counter your idea that Sarah Jessica Parker is supposed to be the protagonist. Okay. With the idea that the family is actually the main character. The family as a unit is the protagonist of this movie. And I'm including the Stones, yes. But Mm. I am including Meredith and Julie as part of this unit in this movie. Okay. Okay. Um, It's it's an ensemble. And I, I think it's the group that is actually the protagonist. And it is the group that is going through something in this movie. I mean, there's a lot happening in this movie. You know, with Everett wanting to get married... The mom having cancer again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the one son wanting, they're trying to adopt, dad's trying to adopt a kid. Mm-hmm. Shannon, I think is her name, is pregnant. The pregnant, yep. Okay. Right, there's a lot happening in this family. Yep. 
And it's when you culminate all of those things with the idea that the mom is going to die and they have just figured out that she is going to die and this is going to be her last Christmas. Hmm. I think that's what... It doesn't give them a pass, but it gives me compassion and makes me understand why they're all acting out and why they're all awful. They're not generally awful people. We're catching them in a moment of time where they are not handling life well. Okay. And I feel like maybe the movie, maybe this is one of those hand-wavy headcanon things that we were talking about last week, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I see this, and when we get to the moment where Meredith drops the strata all over herself— Um, Diane Keaton and Rachel McAdams have fallen with her. They're all covered in mess and they're all laughing together. And Meredith finally, finally starts being herself and is like, well, what's so great about you guys? Mm -hmm. Right. And the mom says nothing, but we're all we've got. Right. And so in that moment, you realize, oh, they're rallying around each other because they're trying to be strong for each other. Mm -hmm. And, they're really not bad people. They're just trying to manage this struggle and this pain and this tragedy that they're going through. And from that point forward, when they've kind of let all of the crap out, like it hit this boiling point and everything just kind of exploded. And from that point on, everything's great. I mean, yes. except that she dies, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> the people and the relationships and the way that they interact with one another is okay. Okay. They work through it. Yes. But that's not enough for you. This is, well, th- this is the flip side of where we normally are. And I'm trying to remember that I've only seen this once. Right. So, and th- and yes. that's obviously coloring my thing. We're not let into that secret for quite a while as an audience. So you were already checked out by the time you got there. We we are we see her gazing into the middle distance mm-hmm. in the opening, but then it's 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 a, a good chunk of the way through, and and it sort of hints there's something. And and Catherine and I were like, oh, there, there's clearly some sort of crisis or catastrophe going mm-hmm. on here. But it takes a very long time to get there. So all that stuff at the beginning, where if we were informed, we'd be reading into it and being like, okay, but we we sort of understand, we sort of get it. Mm-hmm. I think would be stronger. I think I would have taken more from it. I would have sort of, okay, I can understand each side of it. But all we see is, I mean, we've got that intro with Sarah Jessica Parker, which sets up that actually she's a bit of an awful person who I don't think wants to go for Christmas with the family. Fine. And then she is clearly very nervous and very out of sorts and not comfortable there. And they are doing nothing to make her welcome. Right. And and I I would have wanted something in either direction. Well, either to be told. So we're like, oh God, this is, you know, he should have told her, so that's bad. But also they're dealing with their own stuff. So, you know, in in gaining that understanding, we would have maybe helped. Mm-hmm. But I would have wanted to see one of them, someone be welcoming to her. Not in the way Luke Wilson is, because... Shannon was. I, I'm trying to remember, and I cannot remember her reaction to her. Okay. And, and I think she is she is definitely overwhelmed by Rachel McAdams. Oh, absolutely. Both, both as a character and, and as an actress. You know, she is a much smaller character to this. Mm-hmm. But yet, yeah, none of them are welcoming to her. And it's just like, if you were a bit welcoming, she'd be a bit more relaxed. Right. And then you'd all be okay. But neither of you are helping here. So I can understand where this is going. But I still don't like any of you. And then, like you say, by the time you find out, a uh, bit late for this now. Okay. That, uh, that's fair enough. So may, maybe in the... Because I've, I've been trying to think, how would I change this film to fix it? And all I've been able to come up with is major rewrites of every character (laughs) but actually maybe that's the fix scrap the weird intro i don't understand what that intro is for with the two of them shopping and he tells her to hang up the phone or does he even just hang up the phone for her he just hangs up for her oh crikey he takes the phone Um, yeah i mean you know (laughs) i'd lose a limb if i tried something like that (laughs) i wouldn't i love you thank you um (laughs) um so what if we had opened but, with yeah. the the final scene where we know that the mom is gone and then we flash back to a year earlier to what led up to that? Or is that too much of a spoiler because then you see the decoupling? I think I think you could do it because I don't think they necessarily show everyone together which couple is with which couple completely. Or I would do it in such a way that there was some ambiguity over which couple was, which two oh, people right. were in so each couple. Oh, right, so just they were all there. So that if you watch that you don't necessarily know who's a couple and then you come to it and you see the couples but then you see the sort of you know romance right, love right. square thing going on 
Um, and then if you watch the end again, you're like, okay, it makes a little bit more sense now, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that might be quite nice. I, I just feel like even if the opening was a, the text conversation where they find out or the, the Skype calls where they find out or even Diane Keaton herself finding out and having a conversation with Greg Nelson and saying, like, let's phone the family now so we all know what Christmas is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And, and just establish it then so that we know what they're dealing with however much later Christmas is after that moment. Maybe okay. maybe, maybe that's all I would have taken, just a little bit more understanding. Everyone is awful. I, I awful absolutely people. agree with you on that, but it it redeems it for me. So He puts the ring on the wrong girl. <laughs> no. <laughs> and she would have been able to get that off. Of course. You know. If it went on that easily and then ended up just falling off, of course. But exactly. Plot device. I, and if that ever happens, if your ring gets stuck on, you tie, you put a bit of... Uh, thread underneath it and you wind the thread around your finger to compress it down you move but you then pull the thread to pull the ring off okay. i read up on this stuff that's how you do it all right life hacks <laughs> from matthew yeah do you have other questions um do you want to talk about your last question there yes so so the other thing with this is it's a christmas movie it's a family coming together for an event yes for for a christmas together mm-hmm. i'm not sure christmas is important to this movie and this is this is probably where we fall down on again with the genre and style. Mm-hmm. It has the trappings of Christmas, but Christmas I don't think plays a part in the... I think I disagree with you on that. Okay. But I'm not sure I can articulate why. The, the one moment I think is the fact she gives them all a present. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it has to be Christmas for that. I mean, this this could be a wedding. It could be a christening for the baby just born or something it could just be a family gathering because Mm -hmm. the mum's very very ill um okay but if we're going by that logic every single hallmark christmas movie could take place at some other time because they do in every other hallmark movie but we still call all of those christmas movies i I think because christmas is wider than just the family gathering and the presents and things there is the certainly for the northern hemisphere it's winter so we have the trappings of it being cold, it being snowy, whatever issues or, or delights that brings to it. The trappings mm-hmm. of the food at Christmas, the shopping, the car. You know, if you think about everything we saw in Christmas with the cranks, because that has the trappings of Christmas. That film right. only exists because of Christmas. That could not be a wedding right, or a one-off right, event right. or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think because by by that same logic, though, and, and I can't remember if we've talked about this before, then The Holiday wouldn't be a Christmas movie. And I think The Holiday is a Christmas movie, even though Christmas doesn't actually happen in that movie. Yeah. Right? I'm to think, I, I can't even remember that Christmas was in the film. <laughs> like it happens. It takes place over like between Christmas and New Year's. Right. OK. okay. Um, she has the Christmas party at work and then that's when she decides oh she has to leave. Right. Um, and we end on the New Year's Eve party. But. To me, it's still a Christmas movie. And maybe it's just because it's called The Holiday. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, okay. Because, yeah, because to me, it's The Holiday because they're going on holiday. Uh, to you, it's The Holidays. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, it is. Whereas to you, it would be called The Vacation. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so to me, it's a, oh, that's interesting. Words. Words are funny. Words are funny. Yeah, so that that was the only thing I, d- I don't... And maybe that's one of the reasons it's never really occurred to me because it's not a Christmas staple over here. So we, we did get a tweet from um, at OSU Bookworm, and she agrees with me that this is a Christmas movie, I think. She says, my family watches this movie every year, along with love, actually. Honestly, I don't know why we love it so much, <laughs> except the scene in the kitchen where they finally all realize that Sarah Jessica Parker is a human, too. What's so great about you guys? I'll tell you what that reminded me of. The Fast and the Furious. Okay. <laughs> series and, and action films of that ilk. Because there is a way of writing action films of people don't like each other, people don't like each other, people don't like each other. People go through massive action, heroic events, saving the world, saving people type mm-hmm. disaster thing. And now they're all buddies and friends. Sure, think, isn't that how the world works? Think Ant-Man and his daughter's father, who then suddenly loves him at the end because he right. f- threw Thomas the Tank Engine and made it huge. <laughs> well, I mean, he did save the yes. daughter. But right? uh, the Fast and Furious comes to mind because that's what they, the way they write the reconciliation in, like, five between The Rock and Vin Diesel. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they go through an action thing, so suddenly he's not going to hunt him down anymore. Okay. I mean, he's still a criminal, so come on, Dwayne. 
<laughs> the ending of this film felt like that sort of thing. Suddenly they're all falling over and there's been some sort of crisis and the two boys are slapping each other and now we'll all make up. That, that's not actual resolution. No, but it's a, it's a release of tension. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I'd agree with I, that. I think that's mm. how I, I read it. It's a release of tension and, and that's what allows everybody to all of a sudden really be themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. when we get the coming together and the less awfulness of the people. So for a long time after I saw this movie, I wanted to have five kids because I wanted a family just like mm-hmm. this one. Okay. Maybe not just like just this one, like this yeah. one because I, like, I, didn't, I don't want awful, like, mean people. Um, but yeah, th- this was instrumental in – there was a period in my life where I was – God, so lonely and so desperate for love. Right. And then I watched this movie and somehow I equated it with having a big family means you always have somebody to love you. Mm. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted five kids. I wanted, and I knew at that point I would never be able to be one of the kids, right? Like I was too old for that, but I could be Diane Keaton. (laughs) I could be the matriarch of a family that just comes together you know we're all we've got mm-hmm. and that's what this movie did for me right was to kind of give me a fantasy version of what family is like okay or should Di- be Di- like yeah diane keaton goals yes yeah okay uh to be fair i no longer want to have five kids <laughs> i mean because i don't want what, to what birth five kids how about that yeah <laughs> so. um and, and uh, I think in some ways that's why for us family of choice works better because, you know, mm. that's what we both have, not being parents. But also in this, I would have bought it if they were friends. That he is so ticked off with her, he cannot go and check on her even though she's that distraught and that hurt. Okay. Because it has driven a wedge in, in that friendship that exists there. But mm-hmm. they then make it up and reconcile at the end. So that's fine. But because there is a familial connection, there's a relationship connection... That makes some of the decisions not work. I watched a film a while ago, um, oh, which I think I recommended to you, called The Intervention. Directed, written, starring Claire Duvall. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Claire Duvall's partner is Natasha Leon. Mm-hmm. So it's a quasi-follow-up to But I'm a Cheerleader. Right, okay. Um, basically, four couples go away for a weekend who have known each other for a very long time, go away for a weekend, and it turns out it's an intervention for one of the couples for the rest to tell them that they don't think they should stay together and they should split up. Oh, wow. But everyone and every couple is having their own thing going on. Right, right. So it's it's over the course of the weekend, all of this comes out and they all have to deal with it. This has some of the same sort of vibes of people falling out with each other, people dealing with serious things, people, you know, trying to reconcile new people in the found, in the friendship group and people who have gone from the friendship group. And, and, and that worked really well in much the same way. Okay. But again, that was giving you a lot of the information up front. Not all the information, because there were some sort of things that came out over the course of it, but mm-hmm. really good. And especially because it took a little while to tell you which couple the intervention was. You know there's an intervention oh, coming. Oh, okay. Because they all arrive at different times. You're like, oh, which one is going to get there and it's going to be for them? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That was that was worth watching. All right. I, I said we might come back to Dermot. <laughs> isn't, isn't that Thor's hammer? <laughs> I was just thinking. Are you are you trying to say Momo? Um, and speaking of which, at moments during this, I was convinced I'd seen him as the villain in some sort of MCU DC universe film. Okay. He is the sort of generic bad guy you got in the MCU phase one and phase two. He looks cross, he's a bit angry and a bit shouty, and nothing seems to redeem him. Okay. And, and he's not, and I'm still amazed. I'm like, he's the sort of guy that people are writing about why the MCU does bad, bad guys. I have a soft spot for Dermot Mulroney because he was in this movie called um, The Thing Called Love okay. with mm-hmm. River Phoenix, um, Sandra Bullock, and Samantha Mathis. Right, okay, okay. Um, I love this movie. Love, love this movie. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably the first time I saw him. And so I've kind of just adored him ever since. Although I've frequently mixed him up with Dylan McDermott because they were both kind of doing, they both have DM names, right? And 
don't laugh at me. But they were both <laughs> doing things names, yep. <laughs> around the same time, right? So, like, Dylan McDermott was the guy who was against Julia Roberts and Steel Magnolias. And for the longest time, I thought it was Dermot Mulroney. Okay. <laughs> so I used to get their names mixed up all the time on who was who. I'm trying to find this film to his list and I cannot find it. The Thing Called Love? Yeah. That's from, like, 95, maybe? Like I say, he's been in 87 films, so. Oh, he's in a film called North Pole Open for Christmas. 2015. That sounds like a Hallmark movie. It looks like a Hallmark movie. Everyone's wearing <laughs> green and red, I'll tell you that. Um, oh, he's in a film called Jolene. Is there a film based on the song? Tell me there's a film based on the song. A teenage orphan spends 10 years traveling to experience life. That doesn't sound like the song. It does not. Oh, starring Jessica Chastain. I don't know who that is. <sighs> Jessica Matthew Chastain. has gone down a rabbit trail on <laughs> We like Jessica Chastain. Uh, Interstellar, The Martian. Oh, you said Jessica Chastain. Yes. I did not hear okay. the last name okay. in your British accent. I didn't sound the same. I know who you're talking about. Yes. You sure that film doesn't have a different name? <laughs> oh my God, what Wikipedia. if it's not actually Dermot Mulroney in that? I know it is. It has oh no, no, to be. No, the thing called love. Here we go. Okay. Oh, Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, okay. This is an actual film. Yes. I think it was like Sandra Bullock's first movie, maybe. 1993. Oh, no, was, there it is. There it is. It's in between How to Make an American Quilt and Undertow. Hmm. Well done, Letterboxd. Uh, okay. I have also never seen How to Make an American Quilt. Mm, me neither. I assume it's got knitting in it. <laughs> Quilting and knitting are not the same thing. That's true. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, oh, sounds interesting. Okay, good. <laughs> That, yes, so, but, okay, so that whole big tangent is just for me mm. to say that's why I just can't see mm. him as a villain. So, yeah, so there's the bit where, and I cannot even remember where it is, she ends up being really upset and going out to the kitchen, mm-hmm. whatever her name was, Meredith, mm-hmm. and he comes back in and he's like, "You, I thought you were just going to tease her for a bit and then let go, but you've just sunk your fangs in. Mm-hmm. He has some line like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment because he's looming over Rachel McAdams. He is really threatening. And again, I I don't think you do that to a sibling. Like, it's really threatening. Oh, I absolutely think you do that to a sibling when you're that angry. Okay. That was the one moment in the movie I liked Everett. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one moment he stood up for her. In front of his whole family, and he let them know how disappointed he was in them, how much he cared about her, and how they were being assholes. God, if someone spoke to me like that, I'd be, okay, yeah, you're about to see what my fangs are like, mate. (laughs) Right, but look at how they were treating his almost fiancé. Agreed. They deserved it. And and yeah, everyone deserved everything. (laughs) This is the problem. There's no one that I was rooting for except the end of the film. Oh, okay. All right. Were there any things that you liked in this movie? Uh, the the pratfalls were very well done. And, okay. and I think because they were surprising, because for the most part, this film was going more towards drama. It had Luke Wilson mm-hmm. carrying a bit of the comedy and Craig T. Nelson carrying a bit of the comedy. Um, but but by and large, it was more gentle than anything else. And then you suddenly have this moment of Claire Danes appearing in all her "Hi, I'm Claire Danes, America's sweetheart," and then falling out of a bus. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't expect it. I think that's why it worked. It reminded me a bit of is it the end of thirteen going on thirty, where she jumps onto the boat and then falls down the stairs. Yes. Yeah, it had that yeah. sort of like. You just don't see it coming because mm-hmm. it's not the moment for it. Um, so I enjoyed that. And I did enjoy the setup of her making the breakfast and saying, look, I wanted to help somewhere. 
I wanted to do something that would help. And, and that is very good of her and is the right thing she should be doing. Again, if you're very nervous going, just help out. Um, and she's painstakingly made these things and picked mushrooms out, although it seems they, they saw her put the mushrooms in. Um, well, and she should have also known he was allergic if they're going to get married. Yeah. Um, and then she's taking them out of the refrigerator and they bump her over and she drops them and falls in it. And I did enjoy the setup because, again, you don't see it coming because it's not been that kind of film. Right, right. So they did, they did make me laugh. Okay. Yeah, I did like them. I read an interview today with um, Sarah Jessica Parker talking about this movie. Okay. And when they filmed that scene, they couldn't recreate the mess. And so she had to wear those clothes right. all day long. Like <laughs> she couldn't change. She had to be covered. Nice. That just sounds horrifying to me. I'm sure she was paid well enough for the day of inconvenience. Oh, I'm sure she was, but that still sounds horrifying to me. The relationship between, as much as I don't like the tropiness of the way the parents, Diane Keaton and Craig T. Nelson, is written, the relationship between them is very good. Because there, there is clearly a thing of she wants to have a good last Christmas and to give the family a good last Christmas mm-hmm. is what you come to. And he is trying to make that happen as well. And between the two of them, and particularly that moment of interaction where they're in bed together, is very well done. Mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering now if the film is a little scared of the cancer and going too dark and too somber with it, because that's one of the only times it's really referenced, and, mm-hmm. and they talk about it. And, but there is scope in the rest of the film for understanding more of what it means to be suffering with it and what she has been through in the past and it never addresses it that's the one moment where he goes this is a really hard thing well part of it though is because that was the the moment where the husband and wife were alone together yeah and we're told that she's known for a long time that it's come back but she didn't want the kids to know she wanted to get through Mm. christmas Mm -hmm. and they just kind of all figured it out during this visit yeah right um, and so I think that's part of why it felt like it was being put against the back burner because it was supposed to be not <clears throat> front and center because it it was supposed to be a secret from her perspective. And it was just like subtly coming up for each of them because they all mm-hmm. figured it out. Like when Elizabeth Reeser comes and gets in the bed with her mom and she rolls over and is like, who else knows? Because then she's figuring out, oh, this is actually getting out. This is causing issues with the family okay so that's what i took from the film that they didn't know at the start and they this was also the story of them finding out mm-hmm. the way we were talking earlier it felt like i'd missed something that they knew at the beginning and that's one of the reasons why they were being all awful because they were all dealing with that is the big thing that was going on this christmas not the visit of sarah jessica parker it justifies even less the way they are at the beginning <laughs> That's, I, I, I thought it was that they found out during, and I was like, I must have missed something, and they actually knew, and we just, we find out later as the audience. No, they they were, she had been sick before. Yes. And but they, they don't were finding she, out yeah. during during the course of this that that things are bad again. They never explain why Amy is quite so terrible to, is it Amy? Rachel McAdams? Amy. Terrible to Meredith. She's and, and certainly a at that spoiled dinner. college kid? It's a film. We need more than that. <laughs> and and we need more than that if it's not going to be a complete reversal when they do the falling over in the mess thing. Right. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. How about you? What did you like in this? The whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you did not. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't... The, God, the secondhand embarrassment was terrible. So, I mean, there, there were moments mm. that I was watching this that I was cringing. But I also knew that we were going to the end. And I love the end. Right. Um... I love Ben. Ben is observant. Luke Wilson. Okay. Like, he's super observant. Like, he he comes across as this, like, hippie stoner dude mm-hmm. who's lazy and, like, no ambition and all of that stuff. But he's super, super observant. Like, he could watch Meredith and know why she was acting the way that she was and it's because she was being so uptight and she wasn't being herself like he could see that he could see that Everett didn't actually love her right he could see that she didn't actually love Everett and he could just step in and 
help. And that's in. not swooping. He swoops no. in. So I really like Ben <laughs> and okay. the whole movie. You sent um, me an article earlier with people talking about this film. Mm-hmm. And there was a line in that article where the guy says, this film features Luke Wilson playing his brother, Owen Wilson. And that is 100% spot on. This part is written for Owen Wilson. I know. That kind of slightly doofy, yeah. stonery thing. Yeah, 100% I agree with that comment. I mean, I mean, Luke Wilson is good. He is, act- he is very good in the stuff that I've seen him in. Yeah, Owen Wilson is this part, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, but I, I really like Luke Wilson, too. So. Okay. Um, in general, I like the whole family dynamic. And we talked about this a little bit, like the mm. idea that this family is all they have. And so they turn inward and they mm-hmm. love each other and they support each other and they want what's best for each other, even though they go the wrong way about telling each other when they think something's wrong. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that. So that's, mm. that's me in this movie. Nice. I think maybe it's a nostalgia thing, or maybe it's because the first time I saw it, it it gave me something I needed in my life at that time. Mm. Yeah, it clearly struck quite a chord, so. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. But I do wholeheartedly agree that they're terrible people. <laughs> but then they're not at the end, and that makes it worth it for me. Yeah. All right, is there anything else that we need to discuss about the Family Stone? We talked a few weeks ago about Splash. We did. <laughs> um, and how if you'd watched that film when you were much, much younger... The the generic you, the royal you. Um, it's the sort of film that people love because mm-hmm. mermaids are magical and it isn't it a lovely love story. And then when you watch it more intensely and with a critical eye, you start going, oh, this is deeply problematic. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, the woman has no name, barely a face and, and can't speak. Isn't that bad? Uh, and this sort of thing as well, when you watch it with that critical eye, you go... Oh, I'm not sure it quite holds up or quite does what it, it could do if you were just watching it for a bit of entertainment. Okay, yeah. And uh, and this comes down a little bit to, you know, there's been a whole sort of raft of things recently with Martin Scorsese slating superhero films. Yeah. And saying they're rubbish and don't have any nourishment to them, that kind of thing, which which is fine. Like, people like entertainment. Let people mm-hmm. be entertained, Marty, you know. And, and at the same time, if people want gangster films about old white dudes, they can have gangster films about old white dudes. <laughs> you know, and those films are not bad films either. But right. Different things for different times. I want to ask you about your opinion of the critical eye as you've discovered it over the series, you know, all these podcasts we've done together, all all these many, many movies we've watched. Was it better when you could watch a film and just enjoy it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next week. I thought we were going to have a really in-depth conversation and come to some solution. Okay. No, okay. Well, it's funny that you're asking me this, though, because so we're recording this the, the day after our episode on Splash came out. Okay. And Joseph listened to this episode. He finished it today. And we have been having in-depth conversations because he mm. wholeheartedly disagrees with us. Okay. On, on things. And so How we've dare been. He? <laughs> no, I mean, it's been really great conversation yeah. because talking, it's in-depth, intellectual, actually talking about differences and why we, we feel the great. way that we do. Perfect. And And one of the things that I told him was I watch movies differently now than I did before we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. And if I had watched Splash before we started watching every movie critically, I would have felt completely different about it. Like, I feel that in my bones. I would have Mm. just enjoyed it for the entertainment value and would have hand-waved everything else. Okay. So since we've started doing this and actually thinking critically and analytically about movies, it has changed my perspective. And it's hard for me to turn that off and just watch a movie for entertainment. Mm. I can still do it with the MCU. Okay. And I can still do it with Hallmark movies. Okay. That's about it. Right. That's not, I feel like you wanted, you wanted more. I don't know. I, 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 I'm interested because I think this is something you have been thinking about as well. And it's, it occurred to me earlier because I was listening to Splash as well and thinking about that. Like, I wonder if Mandy actually likes the way she watches films now. I couldn't, I couldn't decide. (laughs) And clearly not. I'm sorry. No, sorry. Joseph, (laughs) Joseph has suggested more than once that, that I should change how how I approach movies even for the show. Mm-hmm. And he says that he thinks and, and I, I I'm not sure I agree with him. I haven't really considered much considered it enough yet. But he thinks I should watch it once just to experience it and then come back and watch it a second time critically and analytically and take the notes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um 
I feel like you lose a little bit of something doing mm. that. Mm. I, I I feel there is um, you know, talking about what's in analytically, over analysis at that point. Right, that would be my concern. Is mm. is you lose because some of some of my reactions to things are so visceral to start with, and then after mm-hmm. I watch them multiple times, my opinion changes. Right. Yeah. And I think part of what we want to do on this show is capture that initial reaction. Because we talk about with several movies, oh, I do need to watch this again. You know, I still need to watch Pulp Fiction again. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. You know, and there's another one that we talked about that I needed to watch again. I'm sure there's more than one. Um, But I I think that's part of the journey that we're talking about here whenever we talk about does a movie hold up? Yeah. Because that first initial reaction – is something you experience. Even if you're watching it analytically, it's still something you get from the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the really good thing, one, one of the reasons why I think this works is because our conversation goes to why did we feel that way? So we're, we're talking about that gut reaction. Mm-hmm. And then we're trying to say, yeah, and this film is quite a good one. You know, I know I came out of it going, that was really annoying. And even if I'd watched it on my own, Mm-hmm. I would have had a lot of the same reaction, I think. But it's because I was watching it with someone. We, we were talking about it as we went, we uncovered right, it. Right. But, but that realisation of actually why, and you know, in talking to you about it, and that, that realisation of actually, yes, if I'd known from the beginning what was going on and what, what they were going through, the film would have been stronger because it would have given me the, the textual information I needed to really get what was going on and why we, why it was being written in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think... If I'd then watched it again, I might have come to that realization and the podcast would have been shorter. And no one wants a shorter podcast. No. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I would have then overanalyzed it, perhaps gone to that point anyway, and then have taken three steps before even talking to you about it. Right, right. Part of the point of this is getting to that conversation. So yeah. I, can, I can completely see what he says. And I think we've had a similar conversation about some films you need to experience emotionally, some you need to experience analytically. The mm-hmm. one that's coming to mind is Amelie. I think mm. taking notes during Amelie hurt your watch of it. Yeah. Rather than yeah. just enjoying the magic of the movie, which is why we're kind of keeping an eye out. Are there any other films coming up like that? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there are some movies where I try to do that, mm-hmm. where especially if it's one that I know I'm going to enjoy, which is mm. probably the opposite of when I need to do it, because right, it's the yeah. ones where I'm like having such a visceral reaction, right? That. Mm that sometimes maybe I need to just experience it first. But, like, you asked me, what, what's the last movie we've recorded about? These are all blurring together in my head. Let's not um, see you yesterday. What did we do after see you yesterday? Hang on, hang on. I've got it's the, the one that we again. did on Sunday. Hello, Dolly. That's right, mark. Hello, Dolly. <laughs> because I didn't take very many notes on Hello, Dolly. And you asked me, did you stop taking notes? Or mm. did you... And it was just because... I was enjoying the movie that I didn't want to take notes. I think that happened when I watched Inside Out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so it does happen occasionally, but. I, I think Splash might be a strange example as well, because part of the problem with that film is not to do with the film, the story. Oh, I don't know quite how to talk about the difference between the it, it, the gender politics and the way different characters are treated in that film are a big part of the problem with it. Right, right. Uh, and those are things that could be fixed, keeping the rest of the structure of the film. Mm-hmm. And, and we probably would have enjoyed it more. So those are the sorts of things that are occurring to us now because we are a more uh, woke <laughs> society, <laughs> woke watchers. Well, you know, we, we're more, more savvy on this stuff that we wouldn't necessarily have been savvy on previously. Right. Because right. of the patriarchy and stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas a film like The Family Stone is, there's actually something integral to it that needs unpicking and understanding about it. Mm-hmm. It's not just but that it, sort it's of It's a core level. story element, not, yeah. Yeah, not exactly. this external stuff around it. Yeah. If, if the problem with the film was a bad actor giving a bad performance, that's something that could be fixed. And we could talk about the two things as separate. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we should have done all Splash. Perhaps we should have talked about the story separate. But it was a bad film, so we didn't want to. Um. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. 
Good. All right. Well, if you would like to join our conversation and tell us how you feel about watching movies with the critical eye, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give to us, it gives access to exclusive content, bonus shows, merch, exciting stuff. It helps to support the network and it gives you access to our Discord server where we had quite a rip-roaring discussion about uh, the Family Stone before it came on with people saying whose side they were going to be on, which... (laughs) (laughs) I think they were all on yours. No, I think there were were people who did love it who, you know, wanted to... Oh, that's right, Kate loved it. Um, One of the Kates loved it. We we have a lot of friends named Kate. Yeah, didn't someone say it was it was a wall, wallpaper film for when you're putting up your Christmas decorations? Yes, yes. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I can I can see it. Yeah, no, come join us. Come if you support us on Patreon, you can come join us on Discord and have fun chats about movies. Yes. Uh, it's always a good time. All right, we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Scrooge, not to be confused with Scrooged. <laughs> so until next time, I am Andy Kay, and I was the snow. I was the snow. Not to be confused with Jon Snow? (laughs) (laughs) You're weird, Mandy. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.